It's uh, good to join you today. Uh, can I just check what time I should finish, Craig? <laughs> because I believe uh, we're running a little bit over. Midday. Okay, I will finish bang on, bang on time. I will finish at midday, and I'll get through what I get through. Well, uh, so my name's Philip. I'm a missionary in London with International Mission to Jewish People. Uh, we're one of the oldest missionary uh, organizations in the country, almost 200 years old. And when you look at some of our staff members, you kind of, uh, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, so in many ways, uh, Whitney is kind of uh, the home for our organization. Uh, we have our head office not far from here in Ancient, and our chief executive lives just up the road in Long Hambra. And uh, once a year, our missionaries from around the world descend on Whitney, uh, COVID permitting, uh, where we have our training uh, week. So, so many ways, and today we have Hank and Wilma from my head office, and Helen uh, joining us today, and obviously you know Hank and Wilma, this is their home church, and Wilma pays my wages. So I particularly like Wilma, she's my favorite person in the whole organization, Hank's a close second, and Helen, I can't deny your, your wonderful work as well. So. I'd like to start by reading uh, from Romans chapter 11, uh, 1 to 16. Uh, Romans 9, chapters 9 to 11 are quite uh, fundamental chapters, really, where Paul talks about the Jewish people. Uh, they seem to have rejected their Messiah on the whole, so, so what does that mean? Does that mean that God has forsaken them? And I think you'll see that when you read these verses, that God has not changed his mind about the Jewish people. So reading from Romans 11, verse 1. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars. And I alone am left and they are seeking my life and what is the divine response to him i have kept for myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to baal in the same way then there has come there's also come to be at the present time a remnant according to god's gracious choice but if it is by grace it is no longer on the basis of works otherwise grace is no longer grace what then what israel is seeking it has not obtained but those who are chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not, and ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not, and bend their backs forever. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also, and the root, and if the root is holy, the branches are too. 
Well, uh, as you can see, my name is Philip Amos. One of the first questions I get asked is, am I Jewish? And no, I'm not. I've actually done a DNA test recently, and I can confirm I'm not Jewish. Uh, I do have some Scandinavian blood in me, apparently, and I have 85% more Neanderthal DNA than most of the population. <laughs> that explains the kind of the hunch. <laughs> but um, so I've often asked myself, why? Why me? Why a Gentile going to the Jewish people to share with them the news about their own Messiah? And I feel very inadequate. I still feel inadequate and overwhelmed by the task of going to God's ancient people and saying, by the way, you've got it wrong about your own Messiah. Um, but Romans 11, Paul says that he makes the most of his ministry to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people, in order to provoke his own people to jealousy. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm going to the Jewish people in London, and I'm rubbing shoulders with them, and I'm saying, look, I've got your Messiah. I'm enjoying spiritual blessings that belong rightfully to you, and I'm hoping to make them jealous. And I have had that comment a number of times that people say to me, you know, you, I envy your faith. And these are Jewish people saying this to me. And that's really what all of us can do. Even if you don't have Jewish friends, I know there's not too many Jewish people here in Whitney, but we can provoke our neighbors, our work colleagues, our friends, our family to jealousy as we share our lives with them, as we share the gospel with them, as we share what Jesus has done for us, we can provoke people to jealousy. So there's a few random images up there on the screen about me, just to introduce myself. Um, the uh, top left there is an image of me hiking. I enjoy hiking in the outdoors. Bottom left there is my family, uh, my sister, my parents. Uh, from S my parents are from Somerset, not too far from here. And uh, picture me playing tennis. I'm a bit of a tennis freak. Uh, normally, apart from recently, because I've uh, slipped my disc in my back, so I've uh, not been able to play tennis for a while. Uh, top right, you may recognize that famous wall. Any idea what that wall is? Looking over there? Western Wall, sometimes it's called the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. I was there a few few years ago, and uh, that was on holiday. So, and it's really helpful when I mix with Jewish people and Israelis in London to share that I've been to Israel. And I recommend anyone here, if you're a Christian, uh, to go to, even if, if you're not a Christian, go to Israel and go to the land of the Bible and meet Jewish people there as well. I recommend that to anybody to, to do. And a random picture of me eating yogurt because I discovered that if you put peanut M&Ms in your yogurt, it will be life transforming. So it, your life will be, even next to becoming a Christian, close second will be putting peanut M&Ms in your yogurt. Okay, I'm going to see if my clicker works. Oh, hello, I went the wrong way. Okay, I'm just going to nod. Okay, I'm not going to touch that. There we go. Okay, so I just want to share a few things about uh, why Jewish evangelism matters. So firstly, I must uh, have some water because I had an Indian last night with, uh, with Henk and Wilma. And uh, you know what Indians like, they're quite salty, aren't they? That's better. Okay, so firstly, Jewish people are loved and chosen by God to be his people forever. And this is really despite their failure to recognize their own Messiah. And I believe that if God loves the Jewish people in a special way, so should we. And what better way than to pray for them and to share the gospel with them? And Paul makes it clear in Romans 11 verse 29 that they remain God's people because God's gifts and his calling are irrevocable. Now that is not a word I use every day, but it basically means that God does not change his mind. That once God makes a promise, 
and he made a cast iron promise to the Jewish people that they would be his people forever, God doesn't change his mind. Well, what is their calling as God's people? Well, according to Moses in Exodus 19 verse 6, their calling is to be a nation of priests and to be a light and blessing to the whole world. And this is in fulfillment of the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 when God promised Abraham that through his descendants they would be a blessing to the whole world. So this is their calling. So if we care about the nations responding to the gospel, which I'm sure all of us here this morning do, then I believe that we should care first and foremost about Jewish people responding to it. And why? Because Paul says in Romans 11:15 that we read just a minute ago, that there will be worldwide blessing when the Jewish people, when Israel one day returns to their Messiah. And Paul says it will be like life from the dead. Now, what does this mean? There are different interpretations about these things, but I personally believe that this is nothing short of the return of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 39, that Israel would not see him again until they cry out for him to come back. And they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Baruch Hashem Adonai. But for them to do this, and bear in mind, we've been living in this small word until for 2,000 years. But for them to respond, they got to hear the gospel. There's no other way. No other way of hearing about Jesus than by people proclaiming the gospel to them. So first of all, Jewish people are loved and chosen by God to be his people forever. Secondly, we, and I'm guessing that all of us here today, I may be wrong, are Gentiles and non-Jewish people. But we as Gentiles are immeasurably blessed through the Jewish people. So obviously Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Now, do we think of Jesus as being Jewish today? Do we think that somehow when he was raised from the dead, ascended to heaven, that he somehow lost his Jewishness? In the book of Revelation, it says that Jesus, in his glorified state in heaven, is the Lion of Judah. That sounds pretty Jewish to me. Then, of course, that Bible that you have in your hands or on your phone nowadays is a Jewish book, the Tanakh, the Old Testament, and the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament. They're Jewish books written by Jewish men. And then we have something called the Covenant of Promise that, as Gentiles, we're grafted into. We haven't stolen them from the Jewish people. We're grafted into these covenants of promise that, are, that belong rightfully to the Jewish people. So the one you're most familiar, familiar with is the New Covenant. That when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, he inaugurated this new covenant where we enjoy the forgiveness of sin, the indwelling Holy Spirit, eternal life through this promise of the new covenant made through Jesus. But what's interesting is that when you read Jeremiah 31, 31, where this new covenant is promised, it's not made with the church. It's not made with Gentiles. It's made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And when Paul talks about the, the blessings that we as Gentiles enjoy in Romans 11, he talks about an olive tree. And he talks about Gentiles as being wild olive tree branches that are grafted in unnaturally into this tree. But he says the tree of blessing belongs still to Israel. So all of us are like wild branches grafted in unnaturally into the blessings that belong rightfully to Israel. And then, of course, the Jewish apostles uh, laid down their lives, many of them taking the gospel to the Gentile nations. And Paul says that in response to all these wonderful things that Gentiles enjoy, in Romans 
1527, that because of this, uh, Gentiles are in debt to the Jewish people because we're sharing in their spiritual blessings. And I believe that it's so important, particularly in Jewish evangelism, to uh, recognize the Jewishness of our faith um, because many Jewish people will see Christianity as a non-Jewish, as a Gentile religion. That's, this is nothing to do with us whatsoever. And there's all sorts of reasons for that. And one of the favorite lines I have, which I stole from a book, uh, which when I engage with Jewish people is to say, you know what, everything about my faith is Jewish apart from me. I, I worship the God of Israel. I believe in the Jewish Messiah. I read the Jewish scriptures. I share in spiritual blessings that belong rightfully to you. And I'm in debt to your people. And this is a good way to, uh, to build rapport with the Jewish people. And thirdly, the clear teaching of Scripture is that the gospel must be prioritized to the Jewish people. And the best-known verse for that is Romans 1.16, where Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and then to the Greek. That's a really strange thing about this verse, which is that Paul was not the apostle to the Jewish people. He was the apostle to the Gentiles, as we read in Romans 11, um, which itself is a strange choice. If you think about who Paul was, he was trained under this famous rabbi, Gamaliel. Uh, he knew the, the scriptures back to front and all the writings of the rabbis. And, you know, you would think that God would send Paul to the Jewish people, right? And yet he doesn't. He chooses uh, Peter, this fisherman, <laughs> who's not trained in all the, all the Torah and everything else, he sends Peter to the Jewish people and this trained uh, rabbi, Paul, to the Gentiles. I, I just love God's choices. I, I love how God turns everything upside down. And so never think, if you're here this morning, that you feel somehow unqualified or ungifted in some way to, to do what God is calling you to do. You know, that's a good place to feel because God turns things upside down. And God calls the things that are not as though they were. He calls the weak and, and the things that are not. So, um, so Paul, you would expect him as the apostle to the Gentiles to go to the Gentiles, right? But he doesn't do that. Every place, when you read the book of Acts, every single new place he goes to, he doesn't go to the Gentiles. He goes to the Jewish people. He finds a synagogue. He preaches to the synagogue. Uh, if he can't find a synagogue, he finds a group of Jewish people worshipping by a river like in Philippi. He doesn't go to the Gentiles because the gospel is to the Jew first. It was only when he was rejected in one place uh, by the Jewish people that he then goes to the Gentiles. So, in view of their calling and the way that they have blessed the world, doesn't it make sense that the Gentile-dominated church, like a church here, should be seeking to bring the good news of Jesus back to Jesus' own people? But sadly, so often in church history, Jewish evangelism is the great omission from the great commission. And maybe the, church, the thinking of the church has been, well, you know what, the Jewish people, they had their chance, and now, you know, they blew it, and now it's the chance of the rest of the nations, and they've been overlooked. But I don't think that's how the Lord feels about things. Listen to this from Jeremiah 31.20. Is Ephraim my dear son? Yes. Is he a delightful child? No. <laughs> Israel was not a delightful child at this point in history and rarely has been. You look at the history of Israel and the church, uh, sorry, the history of Israel in, in, the New Test in the Old Testament, and they are not a delightful child. And yet, this is what the Lord says, Indeed, as often as I have spoken against him, I certainly still remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. 
I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. And later on in that same chapter, we have this promise of the new covenant made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And this is the Lord's heart yearning for his own people, despite their rebellion. And still today, many, many Jewish people are in rebellion against God. Less than 1% of Jewish people worldwide can know Yeshua, Jesus, as their Messiah, which is a really sad fact. So do we yearn for the Jewish people to come home to their own Messiah as the Lord does? And then finally, and I'm going to close very uh, shortly, they, the Jewish people are a hard-to-reach uh, people group. As I say, 1% or less know Jesus as their Messiah. And there is much hostility against the gospel. In uh, London, I do a lot of door knocking and high street outreach, and uh, I face a lot of hostility. Uh, one day, this Orthodox man welcomed me into his home, and I've been having a few conversations with him over the weeks. And he's, he surprised me one day, and he told me, Philip, you're in an Orthodox area, and I know you've got to face a lot of rejection and a lot of hostility, which I do. And he said, yeah, you're so cheerful. What keeps you going? And he quoted Winston Churchill to me, who said, the definition of success is going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. <laughs> so he said, what's your secret? And I never had this kind of comment. And I thought about it, and I said, well, you know what? This job is not the most important thing in my life. The most important thing in my life is my relationship with God. And, and every morning I wake up, I spend some time with God, reading my Bible, praying, giving thanks to Him. And it's the joy of the Lord, which is my strength which enables me to face this hostility that I face on a, pretty much a daily basis. And, um, and that really encouraged me, though, that, uh, that, you know, that, that feedback that I have from him. So, so there's a lot of hostility against the gospel. A big reason for the rejection is due to hundreds of anti-Semitism, hundreds of years of anti-Semitism and persecution from the church towards the Jewish people, which is a tragic thing. So, as I say, when I knock on a Jewish home and I, I talk about Jesus, I represent to the Jewish people a church that has forcibly converted, uh, slandered, tortured, and killed Jewish people for hundreds of years, like the Spanish Inquisition, the Crusades, the, the pogroms in, uh, in Russia. And when our greatest heroes, like Martin Luther, taught that Jewish people are the spawn of the devil and that their synagogue should be burnt to the ground. I can understand the negative reaction I often receive, and I'm sure if you were in that place, you would probably feel the same way. So uh, I think if the band uh, want to come, so I think we're going we're gonna to aim to finish for 12, because uh, I don't want to go over time. Um, uh, so really, Jewish evangelism, evangelism should be a number one priority uh, for the church, both praying for it, and supporting it if we are to obey the scriptures and if we want to reflect God's heart uh, for his people. Now, uh, there was a lot more I wanted to say today, but I've run out of time. But maybe another time I can come and share. I wanted to share a number of stories of uh, Jewish people that I, I'm sharing the gospel with so you can pray for them. But there, there is information uh, on the table. Uh, there are copies of our magazine, uh, The Herald, uh, where you can have uh, some stories about our various missionaries sharing the gospel with Jewish people around the world. And um, there is a card that you received when you came in through the door today uh, called Watchman. Now, Ezekiel in the Old Testament is called a watchman to warn the Jewish people of coming judgment. And really, that's what we're trying to do as missionaries. We're trying to proclaim the good news of Jesus, the Jewish Messiah who died for their sins and rose from the dead. But we're also warning people that if they don't receive Jesus, there is a coming judgment. And so we would love you to uh, 
to fill out these cards and to uh, pray for us as missionaries and to pray for me in London. Uh, it really is a spiritual battle. There is a blindness and a hardness over many of the Jewish people's hearts. And this battle is only going to be won by prayer as well as the preaching of the gospel. Um, if you'd like to uh, complete these cards, uh, just leave them on the table there and there's pens there. And you can uh, tear off this bookmark and keep the bookmark uh, in your Bible. It used to be one with uh, my smiley face and uh, they've, they've lost that one. I, I don't know why. I mean, I was the best looking missionary. Anyway. <laughs> Not. Um, so anyway, listen, why don't I close with prayer and we're going to close uh, with a song. And um, as I say, do feel free to help yourself uh, to the information on the table. Uh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we thank you so much that you are the God of Israel. You are uh, amazing, and you are holy. You are awesome. And we thank you, Lord. When we read the Old Testament and we see how you chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and the 12 tribes of Israel to be a blessing to the whole world. And Lord, we have experienced those blessings today through Jesus, the Messiah, through the scriptures that we read every day, and the spiritual blessings that we enjoy. Lord, we are so blessed. Lord, we, we read your scriptures and we see your heart for your own people and how saddened you are to see so many. But Lord, we do pray for their salvation. We pray that in a few weeks' time, as the Jewish people worldwide celebrate Rosh Hashanah, the, the uh, Feast of Trumpets, as they start reflecting on their sins and then go to the synagogues on the Day of Atonement to confess their sins, hoping that their names will be written in the, in the book of life for one more year. Lord, we pray for a heavy conviction of sin, that apart from the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the blood of Messiah, there is no forgiveness. There is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved apart from Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we pray for the salvation of the Jewish people. And, uh, Lord, we pray for all the missionaries with international missions to Jewish people, that, Lord, you would bless their work and bring many more Jewish people to saving faith in Jesus for your glory. Amen. I didn't, uh, I didn't mention this to Philip, but I don't know about anybody else, but um, I, there's a lot more I would love to have heard from Philip, so I absolutely think we will invite Philip back to, uh, to, to share a lot more about the work that uh, is in absolutely important to Philip, is in incredibly important to Hank and, and Vilma and the team. So I'll make contact with Helen and we'll, we'll, get, uh, we'll get Philip back. But I just wondered, um, just, just for a few minutes before the band, has anyone got any sort of non-too-technical, non shall I say, questions for Philip that maybe is pressing, you know, nothing too deep, let's say, but maybe something about the actual work that, that he's doing in London. Has anyone got any questions for Philip? Don't be afraid. Oh, there we go. Uh, so if you didn't hear the question, the question is, how open do I find uh, Jewish people to be thinking that Jesus is the Messiah? Um, really not very open at all in general. Um, then there's all sorts of reasons. Jewish people often struggle with their own identities. What does it mean to be Jewish? And there's all sorts of reasons. There's a saying, you ask two Jews a question, you get three answers. Because Jewish people love to debate and love to argue. But one thing they often agree on is that Jewish people don't believe in Jesus. That's one thing they will all agree on. Jewish people don't believe in Jesus. And that often is how they identify themselves. 
And so that is the challenge that I, that I face, hence trying to build that common ground, that rapport with them. Um, and my aim is to get into conversations, and I have a number of contacts that I meet with, one-to-one. -one. My aim is to get to a place where I'm studying the scriptures with them to show that Jesus is the promised Messiah, that this, this is not a foreign God, this is not a, a, a Gentile religion, that Jesus is the Jewish promised Messiah, that if he's, if he's not the Messiah for Jewish people, he's not the Messiah for anybody else. out to interest do they when you get engaging in conversations with them do they um t so take pride of um i'm from the lineage of benjamin or judah or you know from the tribes do they is they is that mentioned Skepsis, you know. <laughs> um so when the temple was destroyed in AD 70, all the genealogical records of the Jewish people were destroyed also. That, so today, 11 of the 12 tribes uh, cannot be identified with any certainty. There's one tribe that remains uh, identifiable because that's one tribe where, the, if you like, the surname kind of continued, and that's the tribe of, of Levi or Levi, uh, where the, the priestly tribe. And so if you have a pair of Levi jeans that you're wearing, um, or there's, I think, what's the direct, the film director, the Cohen brothers. Um, so Cohen means priest in, in Hebrew. So if you if you come across names, and there's a few other derivatives as well. So we know the one tribe that kind of maintain its identity uh, today. And it's interesting. When I went to the Temple Institute in Jerusalem, they they've rebuilt all these artifacts to go into the rebuilt temple. They're hoping to build on the Temple Mount. And because they know who the the, the priestly line are. They've even remade all the, the priestly clothing uh, to get a functioning priesthood back going in a rebuilt temple. Um, so it's quite interesting that they still are able to make, uh, identify that one tribe. Yeah. But um, I think there is pride in, in, in being Jewish. But so other times, because of all the persecution over hundreds of years, many Jewish people would rather not be Jewish. And they sometimes say, you know, why didn't you choose someone else, Lord? You know. Um, so it, it depends what sort of background that they've had, whether they're uh, proud to be Jewish. But I think generally the Jewish identity is very, very strong. That they somehow can't escape it, even if they don't believe in God. And many Jewish people are completely secular. They still can't escape that sense of, I'm Jewish. And the this, this sense, almost sense of calling on their lives. Um, but they, have, without Jesus, they, they don't really know what that calling is meant to be. Are they hardened um, towards you and any you know, others by their feeling that you blame them or the, the church used to blame them for murdering Jesus? Uh, so it's a good point. Um, so many Jewish people growing up in school uh, would have Christ killer uh, thrown at them by, by their fellow uh, school children. So... Um, and the, the Catholic Church, up until fairly recently, kind of laid the blame of killing Christ at their, at their feet. I think that's changed with the Second Council of Trent, I think it was. Um, so things are changing, but, but many Jewish people have grown up with that label, you're a Christ killer, uh, which again, it does even, it hardens their heart even more. Um, yeah, I think all these things come together in, as a cumulative effect of making it difficult to talk about Jesus. Jesus is often like a taboo word. In Israel, they will not use his Jewish name, Yeshua. 
They all know him as Yeshu, which is an acronym for may his name be blotted out forever. And my, my Hebrew teacher uh, is an Israeli herself. And when I was talking to her about, about Jesus, and she said, oh, you mean Yeshu? And I said, no, Yeshua. No, no, you mean Yeshu, don't you? Because that's the only name that she knew, Yeshua, which means salvation. Uh, that's the only name that she knew in Israel. They all know him, know him as Yeshu, which is a derogatory name for Jesus. So um, I think just in those questions, I think we, there, there's a lot more that we would love to, uh, to hear. So I'll, we'll absolutely get you back to uh, speak to us. But thank you. Thank you for today. And uh, we'll hand over to the band. Thank you.